Welcome to Movule Podcast. My name is Esther Mbabazi, and I'm the host. Movule Podcast is a show where we talk about nature, the environment, and climate change. I am a photographer and nature lover from Uganda. This show started through the Apollo Forests, a tree planting project that got me asking questions about nature and our role in the environment. The podcast is named Muvule after a beautiful and majestic indigenous tree species of hardwood, which is sadly being overexploited to rarity. On the show, I'll be chatting with people in the environmental spaces, from activists to storytellers, scientists, farmers, policymakers, among others. Today, we're talking about storytelling with Anthony Ocheng Onyango, conservation photographer and educator from Kenya, who will tell us about their work. Thank you for joining us, Anthony. Thank you for having me. You are a conservation photographer. Can you please tell us what does that mean? What is conservation photography? In, in definition, conservation photography is a form of communication or creating awareness using still and motion images. And it goes ahead and talks about the threats of what you're talking about, the issues around it and the people who actually are working towards addressing those particular threats. Conservation photography takes more of a documentary style with a photojournalism aspect in it, with impact that is meant to push actions for people to care about something. So conservation photography for me is using of powerful images to be able to communicate what's really going on, uh, the challenges that are there, and what people can actually do to resolve those challenges, and also celebrate those who are actually addressing those particular challenges. This is interesting because we always throw the word around, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? But it's really important to note that we don't just take photos to share and end the image's life there. We can inspire, we can raise awareness about issues, and that's very, very important. And so how did you find yourself in conservation photography? This is not a common career path for many. Uh... I was privileged enough to be able to access national parks at an earlier age. And by the age of four years, I used to go to Nairobi National Park. And one of the things I noticed mostly is when we came back with a friend of mine, um, we used to draw on these particular papers of what we saw. And I can remember vividly there was, there was an animal I saw. You know, when you're a young person, what, what's in your head is, is a visual representation of what you believe in. So I saw something also like a lizard with four legs, and I can't remember what exactly it was. But I think probably it was a monitor lizard I saw. But for me, it was looking so weird and, and, and far enough. And I saw it over the bus, uh, bus window. Uh, and that I was four years old, and I was seeing that. And that particular image always remained with me for the rest of my life. It, it determined the career path I took. Uh, it led me into supporting conservation projects within school, and even doing a degree programming in wildlife uh, management. When I started working now for wildlife ecology, my visual zeal of wanting to see images, wanting to create images, started reflecting itself gradually and slowly coming back. So there is, there is one book called the Lycopia, 
I think I have like two copies in the house that I will sit down and look at each and every image and ask myself, how was it taken? Where was it taken? What's the story about the image? And I did this for like five years, just pretty much looking at people's images, just to mention a few African Geographic websites, uh, other people's websites. I really wanted to learn to be the person creating those kind of images. So I started saving up for, for a camera. It took me another five years to save up for another camera. But I didn't have the training that was required to create the images I was envisioning in my, in my head. I love creating images. I wanted to create images. But I'm in this crossroad where I need to think, is it going the academic way first and then get the camera later or get the camera, build it up and then move forward? So I took the biggest sleep. I went and bought the camera and I can remember. <laughs> I can remember when, when I bought the camera, I actually went and slept next to the camera that day. I was like, yes. <laughs> I can imagine this, the feeling. Yeah, that was for me. That was, was so awesome. It was like a turning point. I realized, wow, this is this is it. So one of the things I went and did was I went and googled conservation, and then I followed the word photography. And what popped out was the definition of conservation photography. So I now underlined the words documentary, photojournalism, and impact. Like, how do I really explore this? And at that time, there was there was no African, like black African dedicated to their lives to just do this particular career path. And it felt scary because I had to talk to other people to be able to help out. At the same time, I had no idea what it was. So I was trying to do so much such. So for me, the camera became part and parcel of my life. Like it became not only a tool, but a healing point for me. It made me realize the kind of person I am and, and how to really face different challenges. So as I said earlier, I used to camp on uh, this amazing website and I look at this amazing work that people are doing, but then I ask myself the question is, where are African, black Africans in this particular space? And I was coming from a conservation ecosystem, which again was, has a lot of questions in terms of where are the Africans in the conservation space? So, Imagine moving from where you are asking yourself the question, difficult questions of representation, and then you're going to a, another space that has no anybody or you can look upon and say, this is somebody who's focusing on consuming photography and they're doing it in a very detailed way. You know, consuming photography is not wildlife photography. It's not a hobby. It's, it's something that you really need to think about it uh, before you tell the particular story. It can take six months or even a week or even five years to tell a story with just a few set of images that have an impact. And that is a dedication that people, people must have to be able to do that. So that's how I came into conservation photography. So you get to face your fears and you go out there. It's a leap of faith. And what are some of the outstanding stories you've worked on? Wow, let me see. So there are stories I've really worked on that will forever be to my heart. And because I took them as personal projects, so they really, really have an impact on me as an individual and my values. And one of them is one from Chipanzi Trust. The other one is from my own village where I come from, in Rusinga Island. And the other one is from Shimoni, which is in South Coast, uh, Kenya. 
And why I mention this particular story is because it's not, they have a personal connection with my own life. They're not just stories. They're stories that my life is ingrained in, in them. Uh, my life story is part of them. So like, for example, the cheaper green trust story uh, was a time that I was totally lost. Like I didn't know if I was doing the right thing, the conservation space, if I was going to go anywhere. So, but the cheaper green trust community gave me a space to express myself using images. And when I went there for like almost two weeks in Gamba Island and I was taking these amazing pictures of the chimps, uh, the chimps themselves became a learning space for me. I didn't believe myself at that particular time, but I was so committed and dedicated to that particular work. And the other story that I loved the most was the one I did in collaboration with Infonai. I'm coming from a fishing community and and one of the things I noticed was the lights in, in the lake were turning from yellow to white because people are transforming from using kerosene-powered lamps to solar-child lamps to fish, uh, the small fish, which are the silver fish. It's my community and I had no idea this was happening. And I felt, why is anybody not telling this particular story? So I decided to do a story on, on powering the ghost town of of Rusinga Island. And that story did not only allow me to, to do my first publication as a story, but it enabled me to connect with my own people mm-hmm. who send us away to go to school and we never come back sometimes. But for me, it allowed me to connect with my own people. The chief can call me and interact with me and, and tell me, oh, there's this happening. Uh, there's this new light that came in. And when I was doing this particular story, uh, I didn't know how to bring it back to them. And then last year, Infonile decided to fund an exhibition of the community. And you have no idea how humbled it was to see the article I wrote was just being told by the community members by themselves. And it was so, so impressive to the extent, like, because we did like this awesome print of images in, in the community and, and, and everyone will come in and see the images. And then they ask who took the images. Oh, it's, it's Tony. He's from up the mountain there. <laughs> and he's the son of who and who. And like, oh, nice. These are very nice images. And we did a translation of the captions in a local language. So it was so, so powerful. And then when you give the printouts to those who the images, you're like, damn, this is really amazing. And, and when I went back to sleep that night, I was just like, what started as, a simple image of me taking from one of the fishermen tying the powered lumps has led to the community being more aware of their actions in terms of climate change and how they're positively impacting that particular effort because local actions are not really being told on a global scale. Uh, and, and, and how do you connect local people with global uh, negotiations if if they're not, their stories are not being told. So that's, I got uh, that zeal of telling that story. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, the last one, another list is one that is associated with my daughter. Uh, and it's called uh, Matumbawe, where a young girl who's about 15 years old narrates how she wants to become like the dad who's a reef ranger. And that for me was so inspiring when I was doing the stories like, we are, the images our kids see when we be positive as and passionate and dedicated about our things, they become 
us in one or another. They may not be exactly equated to us, but they keep those values with them as they move along too. And and these stories for me, personal projects are the ones that stick uh, to me longer and they keep me going. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's very powerful. Thank you very much for sharing about um, these projects and what they mean to you. Because, for example, when you're talking about the InfoNile project you did in your community, it's powerful because you looked out for hope, you know. These are stories, like you said, are always overlooked because for an outsider, this might not be a big milestone, you know, it might not be a big story to tell but as someone from the community you go to you know see the change recognize it and tell it from a very personal point of view which is which is really amazing thank you for sharing about that yeah earlier you talked about conservation photography being different from wildlife photography in the sense that conservation is not for tourism it's really about the community and the natural resources and what we can do as individuals. Um, can you please share a bit more about that from your own experience working as a conservation photographer? So conservation photography is, is how do you use those images beyond taking them? Why are you taking those particular images? And for what particular purpose? Is it to create awareness? Is it to to build up your skill, is it to support an NGO uh, yeah, to get to get funding to continuously support a given species or a community in a habitat? Conservation photography for me falls around the values of it has to be able to document what is going on. And when you're documenting something, you do not neglect the negative impacts. And for me, people are the center for conservation. And uh, in most of my stories, are always people-centered because without people, there's no conservation. So for me, my type of conservation photography is more of an internal communication tool to support people understand that wildlife is actually part of them. And whether it has its negative or its positives, but we need to figure out methodologies of staying together with wildlife. And this particular communication method affects the way we think or relate with, with wildlife issues. When you're doing conservation photography, for me, you need to think about who's your character in the story you're telling, that particular story. What is the challenge they're facing? What is the conflict? Like, how are they responding to the challenge? Uh, what is the context you're talking about? Because you need to give us a bit of a context on what's really going on. And I need to see those images of the context. And final but not the least is, what is the call to action? What do you want people to do after they've seen your image? Do you want them to support conservation? Do you want them to care about conservation? Do you want them to know about a single species or do you want them to know about a community that is working tirelessly to just conserve this particular species? So conservation photography for me is way, way powerful beyond what people perceive as wildlife photography. Wildlife photography is mainly limited to just sharing the beauty of wildlife, but conservation photography goes beyond to share the threats, the people and the actions being taken to protect those particular wildlife. Can you please tell me about your education programs and what you're doing to move this forward and share it with the younger generation now? My main goal in life is to to offer quality environmental education to people who are my peers, the community, young people. And for a very long time, environmental education has mainly been about awareness, which is okay. 
but I'm asking myself, can we go beyond awareness and have literacy programs that actually can provoke younger people to take action? Uh, so we have two programs in, in Tony Wilde Foundation. One is called the Visual Ecological Literacy Program, where we go to schools with cameras and teach the young kids how to take pictures of what wildlife means to them in their own school. And this is why we use the camera as a tool is because younger people have a very wide range of views they can they can pick ideas from what it entails to appreciate nature and the camera so for me the camera is a tool that allows them to connect with nature from different perspectives and the other program is mainly meant for restoration and it's called the mitigation project but it's built up upon my passion uh, like uh, allowing younger people to understand that you can follow your passions and your and your goals uh, without necessarily being uh, waved away by society uh, and also understand that you can actually fail uh, in the process and fail in the process of what you need to do. We use a reference of a single tree and we ask younger people to relate themselves with a single tree. How does a single tree and you as an individual relate to each other and it's amazing how kids themselves answer the questions like the tree grows i grow uh, the tree sheds of leaves sometimes i shed of friends uh, the tree branches break i can break my leg uh, and then you have this analogy with young kids and sit them down and, and, and they explain this and they tell you that the tree provides shade and then when they come to them they're like what 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 kind of shade do i provide and that's when you now provoke them and tell them when you become old enough, regardless of what career you take, you provide a shade or a canopy to so many other people that you may not necessarily know or even have met. So can you relate yourself to the tree? Plant a single tree and let it grow so that 10 years when you come back to that particular school and you see a younger kid sitting below that tree, you'll be like, I planted that tree. So can you take care of yourself right now and focus on your passion and dream, regardless of all the challenges. And I'll be very specific. I'll tell the, the tree will face, will have no water at some point. You'll have no food at some point. But do you stop growing? Does it not stop growing? What is the one message you would like an individual to feel or take home with them from this episode? I'll, I'll I'll say one, but in 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 a block sort of like that's okay. Uh, one of the things you need to identify from your inner person what exactly life means to you, and and from there you can be able to understand what are the factors to play into into consideration. Uh, don't be a photographer because you've seen somebody has got money or has got opportunities based on being a photographer. Be a photographer because it's your driven life purpose. It's a way to express yourself. Uh, don't be a doctor because someone says that you need to be a doctor. So for me, the one word I see is that reflect on our passions. Sit down and look at them. Take your time to understand why exactly are you going to school and how can they feed into your passion. And for me, that was a that was a major major privilege in the sense that I understood what my passion was in a younger at a younger age, 
and any other skill set that came to improve on my on my passion. So stick to your passion and trust me, it's always difficult. But what I'll say is uh, there's a book I've been reading uh, and pick the things you want to give a fuck about. Don't don't put every single thing in your head. If having a good life is what you really want, work towards a good life. If you want to impact people's life, work towards a particular point, but let it come from a passion perspective that is supporting society because we as Africans are part of society. Uh, and that is something we need to remind ourselves as Africans that we will always be part of a society and nature. We are never disconnected. As much as we want to disconnect ourselves with different social aspects, but at the end of the day, in every African space, when someone is born or die or dies, we all of us come together. So why don't we celebrate our passions together as Africans and celebrate them moving forward? And that's why I ask people to really, really focus on their passions. Let's just the beautiful things that we want, but sit down and remember there's something that you can do for your society. Yeah, and, and really, really embrace it. I think that is what I can I can I can share and leave. Wow, thank you very much. This has been such a wonderful time, you know, like to sit and listen to your experiences and um, sharing that with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you I, for having me on the podcast. Thank you. We'll put your website and social media in the show notes so people can actually also follow along and get to know more about your work. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey of the Mouvle podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share this show. Also, please follow us at Mouvle Podcast on social media. Thank you.